Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. Big show plan, reaction from the weekend, college football, NFL, and more. Plus, we've got the, the Eagles, Niners, Bills, Cowboys, all winning big yesterday. Tennessee and Georgia win big, and now it sets up number one versus number two this weekend. Brian Harson's officially out at Auburn. It actually did happen. It did happen today. Gentlemen, from 6th and Peabody, here we go. Buckle up. Good afternoon. Ready to go. Exciting show planned today. We all went with sort of a dark tone on this Halloween. Uh, if you uh, right. on, the, on the screen next oh, to each oh, other, Hutton shaved. So the return of Chutton is now in full effect. Now that we both have shaved faces, that's right. I'm excited for this. There's a lot to get to today, and a lot that's already happened this morning with everything going down at Auburn. He says he uh, is regrowing the beard, but you can vote for him to keep it like this. My preferred look. Jonathan we'll see. I, I can. I think I can bring it back, Chad, within like 13 days. What do you think? Over under? I think you'll you'll be fully back in 17 to 20 days from the beard that you had before. But it's not going to take too long. Here's the thing about facial hair: when someone goes through a drastic change, I always prefer what you had the most recent <laughs> look to. Like every time, like once. You had the beard. I'm like, I would really wish Hutton would shave. And then you had the beard for long enough where I went away from that. And now that you're sh shaving, I'm thinking, I really want the beard back. Like, I've seen the I've, beard long I, enough now that I want the beard I back. I think I'm going to bring it back. But that's, again, Paul, we, everyone can have their vote. Everyone and, uh, campaign. We get, and, uh, we Davey, did this, that's our, uh, we just found our poll question today. Beard or no beard? We did this for... Uh, Davey Hudson's all up. Clay Not Laura only is our meteorologist, but he's yeah, our poll, yeah, poll uh, master. Halloween party, which was a blast. Uh, I went as Maverick from Top Gun, and I... Didn't, I didn't go with just the jumpsuit. I've called in some favors. Our, our buddies, Craig Nance, uh, Aaron Hill. Our military yes, contingent. Yes. Um, we got Bradford here Associates. at Sixth and Peabody, and they hooked me up with all the gear. And uh, here is Clay and I from Saturday night. Uh, where I, I, It's a spot-on look with the, the Maverick uh, Top Gun photo yeah. that I've seen. Not so, as yeah. much effort into Clay's costume. No. Well, Clay had just arrived back from Big Noon Kickoff in Knoxville and threw on his jersey. I think if Clay really wanted to go all out for that Michael Jordan look, though, he'd probably be in a bit of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not even today on Sunday morning. Probably late Saturday night he'd have been in a bit of trouble had he gone with the full look. It was a, a fun night, and we were watching Tennessee and Kentucky at the party, which was... A boat Every race. bit the boat race that you boat and I race. thought it was going to be. I give it up to you guys. Uh, you know, often I'm, I'm always, why is everyone so confident? Not, not just you. We had Austin Price on. Every person who covers the SEC, for the most part, pretty confident in Tennessee eliminating Kentucky quickly in that game. And boy, did they ever. I just didn't think Kentucky could score, like to keep up. And once you're chasing, Kentucky's best part of their offense goes away. And, and therefore, I thought the, the boat race was on, and, and we did see that. Now it sets up the game of the century. Number one versus number two in the SEC. 
in the SEC East. Georgia and Tennessee this Saturday, 3.30 Eastern kickoff in Athens to determine who in all likelihood is going to Atlanta to represent the East against Bama. See, I didn't think Kentucky could score with Tennessee. So I thought they would win, you know, 10 to 14 points pulling away late because it'd be a bit of a shootout and then Tennessee would pull away. What I did not expect was for Will Levis to go 16 for 27 for 98 yards and three INTs. Kentucky had six yards until their final meaningless drive in the second half. Yeah, Six yards. I, I didn't expect Tennessee's defense to play that lights out. And that is an element of this team that while you can point to the passing defense being ranked in the 100s, Tennessee's got a top five now rushing defense nationally. They get after the quarterback as well as anyone in the SEC, and they got to Will Levis time and time again on Saturday. When you look at the defensive performance against LSU and now Kentucky, that is a defense that is capable of winning a national championship when paired with this offense. There's a caveat, though. Of the 16 completions by Will Levis in this game, only five of them went beyond the line of scrimmage. It's ridiculous. I don't know how you don't attack more down the field if you're Kentucky and you have Levis, given the fact that that is where you attack Tennessee's defense. And they, I thought the game plan played right into what Tennessee does best defensively. That, that's why I defense has been really good at improving three, four, five drives per game over last year. Right? We've, we've, we've pointed this out. But I think the Georgia matchup will show us so much more. Even in a, it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. I want to see how they match up against a, a Georgia offense that's willing to pull the trigger and push it deep. Because what Levis looked nothing, yeah, nothing they, like and they he's played, been hyped to be. They played scared, which kind of surprised yes, me. I thought I Mark Stoops coached scared. That play calling was a team that was afraid. The one, one or two times he threw it downfield, at least one was intercepted by Tennessee also. Yeah. But... It was a game plan that basically was conceding, we can't protect our quarterback. Uh, we're going to try to run it on first down, and if that doesn't work, we're screwed because we've got nothing else. There's no change of pace with this Kentucky offense. And then the game plan, I thought Chad, it was a scared plan by Kentucky. On the other side, I mean, Hyatt's always open, and I think that's scheme. They are getting matchups, and Hooker's able to get them into the right play and deliver the football to the guy who's going to be open based on the way Heupel has set this up. I'm looking, uh, I went, as we're talking, to Mel Kuyper's Twitter to see if, in fact, there's any commentary on Will Levis because he had him as the... Please tell me there's something. There's nothing. There's nothing since October 19th, which is the same day he had the piece, the case for Will uh, Kentucky's Will Levis as the number one quarterback. A few NFL draft notes at college football midseason. There's no tweets since. Two things, though. How does Kuyper make headlines right now if he discusses Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? He's going to make headlines with them come February, March, and April. This is how he gets his stuff read and how he gets to the front page at ESPN. And number two, I searched. Uh, we were at the party searching for this. I wanted to see where they had. The latest mock draft had him number seven overall. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see it. That was uh, the opening of the broadcast with, with Fowler and Herb Street. They were saying he is, by ESPN, the seventh-ranked prospect overall Well, look in the draft. I, I, last I have never year, seen it, though, but it's not just Kuiper. I mean, well, it, that's, that's fair, too. It's, it's a lot of draft nicks that are saying this guy is going to be a first-round pick. I mean, I see some of the physical ability, but he's not running for a lot of yards. He's not scrambling. 
He's got a strong arm, but he doesn't make good decisions. There were a couple throws. I'm thinking, why are you even trying to fit it yeah. into that spot, not seeing the defense? I'm not going to pretend to remember last year at Halloween, but were we talking about Pickett and Willis? Pickett, yes. As oh, yeah. top 10 guys? Willis, w- Willis at Liberty was being discussed, but it was, it was more about what uh, will happen. Yeah. And, and Pickett, what Hugh Pickett was doing. going into the season a Heisman Trophy hopeful. Yeah. Based on his previous year at, at Pitt. I mean, I remember the second game of the year against Tennessee. All the talk was Peyton Manning loves this guy. Not talking about the Tennessee quarterbacks. Talking about how he texts with Kenny Pickett. Because he's at the Manning Passing so Academy. So setting aside. It was him and Corral. Setting aside Bryce Young and setting aside C.J. Stroud. My question is. Are teams going to go back to forcing quarterbacks early, or was last year a lesson in if you don't really see it, don't really force it? Um, I think you because you create expectations talent, and, and whatever. Well, does Will Levis look like he's got that much more talent than Kenny Pickett? See, I, I don't know. Decision making wise, they like they like him so because great. of the pro style offense. But again, like I, I but don't. What's a pro style offense anymore? Too is kind well, of exist. the question. Right? I mean, yeah, we we saw I formation quite a bit yesterday in Houston. So we'll get right. to that at some point too. No, it's uh, it's real football, right? That's what Will Levis mistakenly said during the week when talking about Tennessee versus Kentucky. He said, "I mean, yeah, you know, ADR touchdown pass are great, but we play real football here." Where you drive the ball, talking about in a, a pro style yeah. system, and it's uh, a blurrier line than t- it's ever t- been. Tennessee kept receipts Agreed. on that because there were a lot of posts from coaches and players about, "Hey, that was a real football game that just happened after they won forty-four to six. So they used that in the locker room all week against Will Levis. Look, I'm a pro style drop back, throw from the pocket guy, and the line's blurrier than it's ever been. I mean, you look at Josh Allen, you know, who would fit that mo, and what's he doing, you know? Both. I yeah. just I don't know how today. If I if I'm trying to start uh, uh, if I'm trying to start something better for my NFL franchise, how you do not bring in a quarterback that at least has some ability to move to dodge. Like Tom Brady is great. There's one Tom Brady out there. Okay, I I think that that era is ending. And the door is shutting on that. I mean, if you, you have a super special guy like that, I don't, I don't want can... a, I don't want a straight runner, obviously. But I look at Lamar Jackson and think that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's throwing the ball a lot better now, and he's gotten better over the course of his career. I don't need elite running ability to that level, of Lamar Jackson. But you got to have some of that. And the way college offenses are designed, it's to showcase some of that. Meanwhile, Will Not Levis that, the has rushed for so like minus seventy-two yeah. yards this year. Yeah. Because he keeps getting sacked. It's not he's never running out of trouble and taking off and running. He should. He's got the athletic ability to pick up twenty yards if there's no one in front of him and he gets rushed quickly. On top of what you're saying, Chad, uh, these guys who can pick up the yards are excellent. And we talked last week, maybe part of what's going on in the NFL right now with offenses being down is that offensive lines are worse and worse. And if the offensive lines are worse and worse, and, you know, outside of the roughing the passer defense that you're getting, you got to get yourself out of trouble more so than you used to. You know, Elway could run, Marino couldn't, but you had to, uh, you knew they were getting a certain degree of protection. Does that kind of degree of protection exist anymore in the league on a regular basis? It does not. And that's a question I have for Hendon Hooker. He is the Heisman favorite in Vegas as of today. And if he has a great performance, even in a loss – 
Mm-hmm. If he plays really well at Georgia, I think he could all but lock it up, quite frankly, uh, down the stretch of the season. If they win, for sure, and he plays great. But I still would have questions because Tennessee's offense is working so efficiently and so well. He's rarely pressured, and he is so well coached. There are a number of plays. I saw it four times in the game Saturday night where he has one read. He gets the snap, and he looks left, and if that is covered, he knows to take off. They know exactly where the read is, and he'll get eight yards because he knows there's an opening in front of him without even looking forward. That's not going to happen in the NFL. He's going to face a lot more adversity from pass rush. Yeah, closing. His speed. offensive line is playing great right now, run blocking and pass blocking. He wasn't really pressured that much even on Saturday night. He's sitting back there and he's finding open guys. Um, and I'm not. To, that's not to say he can't be a good pro quarterback, but we haven't had to see a lot of improvisation from him when things break down. He's taken off and run at times and broken tackles, but that offense has not faced a lot of adversity, which is crazy. In the SEC, with five wins over ranked opponents, they've not seemingly faced a ton of adversity. On paper, it, it, it looks as though the Bulldogs match up so much better than what Alabama did defensively against this yeah. offense. They'll face adversity we'll, Saturday. We will get into the matchups both today and throughout the week on the massive game in Athens, number one versus number two. Um, Brian Harson is out as the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, officially fired. Finishes 9-12 and 12 overall, and this comes, what, 30 minutes after they make it official with the AD, Chad, that, that Harson's out and he's going to be paid his buyout. Gets paid to fail. Uh, but he's 85-36 and 36 overall as a head coach. I think he's a good head coach. This was an awful fit for Auburn based on what Harson was bringing and the overall football culture that they're looking for. So uh, I want to say it's maybe an hour and a half after it's official. The, the name John Cohen was put out over the weekend. Saturday is when I started seeing it as Auburn was playing. Maybe Sunday. Friday, Davey says. Even earlier than that. So over the weekend, that name starts to surface from Mississippi State. They're in negotiation over the weekend. They're trying to finalize things. Maybe it was final last night. Maybe it was final this morning. Reports break this morning. And I, I want to go see the timestamp. I want to say 90 minutes after that, Brian Harson fired at Auburn. Obviously... They wanted to hire AD before firing Brian Harson, but this was all just part of the package. Whoever they're bringing in knows he's hiring his own coach and that Brian Harson won't be around. I don't even know if, do you think Cohen had to call Harson and do it? Or did the president at Auburn just say, okay, now you're gone because we've hired our AD? I mean, they may yeah, have never I'm, spoken before. Right. And is he just going to pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, I'm flying in right now for my press conference, but you're out. Clean up your lot. Clean out your office. Well, the public, the public responsibilities on the interim AD uh, McGlynn. He's the one publicly that quote unquote fired him. But I mean, Harson knew he was out after the season, yeah. right? But this is this makes it official. And yeah, now that they know that Cohen is the is the guy that he's resigned at Mississippi State and he's Auburn's new AD. Well, it's time to go ahead and get that search going while you can have. Your new AD head that up. What a wasted season. I mean, we all said after the quote-unquote inquiry inquiry last year um, after the season that it was inevitable the wheels were going to come off this year. He wouldn't make it through the season, all of that. They should have just pulled off the Band-Aid last year. Hell, pulled off the Band-Aid with an AD, whatever you needed to do. But here they are. They're one and four in the conference. They're three and five overall. They've lost four straight. They're in the basement with Texas A&M. 
and all, all they did was waste time. In normal, save a little money. In, in I guess. normal times, Paul, Auburn would have just cost themselves a year to a year and a half longer in a rebuild by making this move. They're putting themselves behind the eight ball more because their current recruiting class is a bunch of nothing. Brian Harson stopped recruiting for Auburn. They've got no one. They've lost, I think, double-digit commitments in the last couple of weeks. They don't have anyone in the class. So the next guy's going to have to go heavy in the portal. Last year's class was terrible. Well. Right? Last year's class is bad amidst the turmoil. This year's class is non-existent. But the good side of that, if you're Auburn, if you want to be optimistic, with the transfer portal and guys literally play right in, go hire someone who is good at looking at the transfer portal. I don't know, someone like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, who just completely revamped his roster after losing everyone from last year's Sugar Bowl team. And they're really good again because he hit the portal hard. You could turn it around quickly if you brought in a coach that could bring a lot of their guys with them or aggressively recruit the portal and bring in proven college players to your program. You know, the other, the other factor is... You know, they had a, a lame duck AD at the time because he was out prior to the start of the season. And that was, Harson was his hire. So they get him out. They figure Alan out. Alan Green. They figure out who the, the new AD is going to be. We now know it's John Cohen. Got to sync that stuff up better. Well, they're also, I mean, if they fire him last year, they were, what, 13 months removed, roughly, from paying Gus Malzahn $21 million to leave? Um, so that, that was two out, years space ago. Space out the money. So, yeah, but I mean, if you want to space out the money, they're beholden to their big donors to pony up if they want to oust this guy. And they chose to let it ride after the inquiry in February. Not in December, but in February, when it really doesn't make much sense to make a coaching change then. Because you're already, you're, you're a, two weeks away from spring practice. No one's leaving at that point, unless you're getting someone like Gruden you know, like just thinking about the names who are out there, but it still doesn't help out the new coach coming in from the portal and everything else. You, I mean, if I'm a coach, I'm wanting to go ahead and get those negotiations going now with the AD behind the scenes so that you hit the portal as soon as the, the season's over and you, you pony up with all the players that are willing to leave where they currently are. And, and that would have the, happened the thinking, last year. Look, the, the thinking by Auburn was just simply, the guy's 85% gone after all of this. And he wanted but we're out in too. such yeah. a weird timing right now. We'll just play it out, pretend that we have his back as an administration, and maybe he'll surprise us and win, and then we'll just keep him under contract or renegotiate with him yeah. or whatever. But knowing it's probably going to be bad either way with a new coach, then we'll be in the full cycle and be able to hire the, the coach that we want. His buyout, I believe, that he's due is $12 million. He gets half of that within 30 days. It's fifteen and a half million. He gets seven point seven five. So in, within in the next 30, month, and yeah. then there's four installments of the remaining seven point seven five over the next what uh, year or something like that. Who's the realistic dream? Realistic dream candidate. I mean, I think it's Lane Kiffin, personally. Um, but Matt Rule is going to be in the mix. I mean, we can go yeah. down the list. They could hire Hugh Freeze if they wanted to bring him back to the SEC West. He would do very well at Auburn. Yeah. It's a guy that probably would also work with their sort of crazy setup with their boosters and president and fans and everything else. Those would be the tops of my list. You got to get someone with SEC experience. This is one where you cannot, after hiring Brian Harson from Boise State with no prior experience in the area, 
You need to bring in someone who understands this job, but not just this job, how to go get some players away from Georgia or Alabama. Because that's the barrier for success at Auburn is you're going to play those two teams every year. You know, much like Tennessee has to play Georgia and Alabama every year, so does Auburn. And they're stuck right in between those two schools. And you're going to have to pluck some guys away from them occasionally. Not all the time, but you're going to have to do it occasionally. You're going to have to have someone with ties to the South to be able to do that. I mean, it's definitely a culture fit because he was 70 and 19 or something at Boise. And then it was, what, Christmas Day or Christmas Eve that he took over at Auburn. And then within within amount of like a six to eight-month span, you were already hearing things like, this is not anywhere close to what it was sold as back in December of 2020. If I, if I had to go outsider candidate, though, it's Matt Rule. Someone with no yeah, real ties to the SEC. Yeah, okay. Out, yeah, no I'm ties. I'm saying outsider with that. I mean, he was at Baylor. Right. So he was in the South, and but in over, Texas. Yeah, when he but, took over what Baylor was up to and then what he built. I mean, that's, that's similar to what Auburn needs right now. And you can win fast there. You know, you, you can... It's, it's not Ole Miss. Like, Kiffin's always complaining about attendance and getting people there versus recruiting and all. Auburn's a different story. Their last, I believe, four coaches have either won a national title or gone undefeated in a season. Gus Malzahn, Gene Chizik, um, Tommy Tuberville in 2004, and Terry Bowden... I believe in 98, the same season Tennessee won, it went undefeated, but they were under a postseason ban and couldn't play for the SEC title. None of whom exactly went on to great things. It's the the LSU argument, right? I mean, the last three guys at LSU. It's not just Nick Saban. It was Les Miles and Ed Ogeron won national titles at LSU. You can win at Auburn. Is is Matt Rule the Bruce Pearl hire? Where it doesn't matter where Pearl goes, he's He's going to win in the college football, college basketball uh, world. It's hard to right? know. Um, they, you either, I don't know if there's just a deadlock, uh, uh, just a lock that you can find that guy and he's going to choose Auburn over whatever else is open to you. But, Chad, you're onto it with uh, the SEC ties. If you find that guy, um, they know what they're getting into. Because yeah, they've got, I would, they've I got would go, to, think about the coaches you're head-to-head with in the West just alone on that and who you're recruiting against. See, I would, go, I would go in order. Kiffin, and they've done this once before. They hired Tommy Tuberville from Ole Miss. They've hired Ole Miss's coach before. I would go Kiffin, Freeze, Rule. And I don't think it should go past those three. I think if you're Auburn, if you play it right, and you give them yeah. the assurances needed, you're going to land one of those three. I like the Bruce Pearl comparison for this reason. Matt Rule is an outsider's outsider. Bruce Pearl is from Boston. Uh, he is a Northeastern guy. He's a Jewish guy in the middle of Protestant, you know, Alabama, where they are. Matt Rule's a New Yorker. He is a Northeastern guy that had success at Baylor also, but those guys win. Yeah, they play the game. Bruce Pearl's fine in Auburn because he wins and he knows how to connect with people. He's a people guy. He knows how to recruit. They go get players from all over the place. Matt Rule can go get players from the South, but other places as well. So I, I think that's a good comparison if you want to go the, the Bruce Pearl route. Kiffin and Pearl linked again. At the university would sure uh, turn some heads. No doubt. No. We'll, we'll dive that in. Could other, be a fun, fun tandem coach- to hang out with. <laughs> let, let the coaching rumors begin. Though, I'd love to be Auburn. a part of that coaching caravan. The War Eagle coaching caravan will be quite exciting if it's Kiffin and Pearl.
Coming up, uh, we will go through the AP Top 25. We'll take a look, a, a, a glance at what we expect um, as we dive into the college football playoff rankings tomorrow. That'll be a, a big topic we'll have there. But the, the AP rankings, I think, will be a bit different than what we'll see tomorrow night. We'll explain why. And we'll go through the big headlines. Georgia winning over Florida. Tennessee over Kentucky. And it sets up what's going to be a great game this weekend in Athens. That's all coming up on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Number one versus number two this coming Saturday in Athens. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Taking a look at the updated Associated Press. Top 25, Georgia is number one in the country, followed by Tennessee, Ohio State, and Michigan. Now you'll see two twos there. And that's because they're knotted at number two. And... They're slotted this way because I think everyone acknowledges that Tennessee is number two with Ohio State number three based off of resume and performance recently. And that's not just us saying that as we sit in Nashville. We've got Heisman Trophy winning running back Eddie George acknowledging that too. In fact, Eddie would put Tennessee number one. Um, Kirk Herbstreit, another sure, Ohio yeah. State alum, has Tennessee's number one team and in the country. And this is where it'll be different tomorrow night with the college football playoff rankings this will be number one versus number two. And the question is, is it going to be flip-flopped? Is Tennessee going to be one in the playoff rankings and Georgia number two based on resume? And in a week, we've got an answer, and one yeah. of them is, is one, and one of them is probably like what? fifth. Yeah, fourth or fifth. We, we'll dive more heavily into that tomorrow. But just taking a look at this, Clemson, uh, number five, Alabama, sixth in the country, with TCU at number seven, despite the Frogs continuing to take care of business. It's so, interesting that voters would see Clemson as worthy of being ahead of Bama, one loss Bama, but not TCU. I don't, I don't understand that. <clears throat> I, uh, we can have a long discussion about this, but I get that Bama is Bama, but Bama's got a loss, and I'm a believer that we've got to go with what we've seen so far. And if you're undefeated and you've played a decent schedule and you're in a Power 5 conference – you need to be slotted ahead of Bama right now. TCU's probably going to lose one of these games down the stretch. If I had to guess, they're going to drop one of those games. Could be at Texas. Could be any one of those tough games. Baylor. But how is Alabama? I, I want to wait until the college football playoff ranking comes out to have my full reaction. Bama should not be in the top four. And I've seen them in almost everyone's top four. Not just one spot ahead of TCU. In the college football playoff, Ahead of Michigan in some cases, ahead of Clemson, ahead of TCU. I, I just don't think that's right. I believe Tennessee, based on resume, should be number one in that first playoff ranking. I think Tennessee would be just fine being number two with Georgia being number one. Doesn't matter. Because that will be a motivating factor for the defending national champions. Sure. That's a good spot they want to be in is at home 
And they're saying, oh, Tennessee's suddenly better than we are right now when we haven't lost a game in the last two years, or SEC championship game, but we're the defending national champs. I, I think that would be... That would be motivation I, for Georgia. I'm just looking at it from the perspective of if Tennessee's number one and they lose this week and they drop to five, you're not going to fall that far. And then you win out, but Georgia goes to Atlanta. To me, based on what happens over championship weekend, Tennessee's going to the playoff because they were one, they're falling to five, and they would still get in after SEC championship and everything else that plays out over the weekend, which will be crazy. I, I really think Tennessee's, uh, even with a loss to Georgia – I would put their college football playoff hopes over 60%. You're looking good. I think beating Kentucky, even if you you get beat by Georgia in any way, if you if you avoid disaster against Missouri, South Carolina, or Vandy, 11-1 Tennessee with that resume, with the one loss being to defending national champion Georgia on the road, TCU could go undefeated and Clemson could remain undefeated. All these things could happen that would prevent them from getting one of the four spots. But if you go head-to-head with one-loss TCU, a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State team, uh, if Clemson's undefeated, maybe they get one of those spots. Tennessee's got a good percentage chance of sneaking into that yep. fourth spot with one loss and avoiding the SEC championship game. I'm guessing going to be rematch with Alabama. But, boys, we got a pretty big game in Baton Rouge this Saturday night, and suddenly got that Brian hand. Kelly's LSU team looks great. And then Ole Miss is just around the corner for them, too, for Bama. Yeah. so yeah, They're not skating through by any means. Just Alabama being between the two undefeated teams makes no sense. Either you think they're better than the two undefeated teams, or you think the undefeated team should be ahead of them. I don't see the big differentiator between Clemson and TCU. So... I don't know what splits it here, but if people, if the voters are generally thinking that they they fit in between those two, it doesn't make sense. It's an elitist voting to me to have Clemson and Alabama above TCU. I mean, let's uh, TCU and Clemson's resume right now. TCU is every bit as good as Clemson, if not better Better, than who Clemson has beaten. But Clemson's Clemson. They've won multiple national titles and been to a bunch of college football playoffs and Bama's Bama, so in the eyes of the voters, it's going to be hard. I'm really curious to see what I think is a more impartial college football playoff committee does with those teams in, in the order, because I think they're going to get it right well, before the AP will. Um, and I think we saw that a year ago with Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati not being snubbed was what was right, and they got it right. I don't care that it was 27-6, to lost to Alabama in the playoff. They got it right. Cincinnati had a good resume, and they went unbeaten, and I'm glad they put them in. They deserved it. So I want to see what the playoff committee does with this. Looking at LSU, though, LSU is a missed extra point against Florida State away from being right there on the fringe of where Bama is in TCU in this AP ranking. They're a top-10 team with just that one loss at home to Tennessee. That's how close Brian Kelly's team is right now. They got drilled by Tennessee, no doubt. But they have been a different squad since then. I'm yeah, very up. excited to watch. They figured some things out there. Baton Rouge at night, Saturday night against Bama, is going to be a lot of fun. And three weeks ago, we would not have said that. No. You know? No, it was, a, it was an afterthought that Bama was going to kill them. And they still might. But you're going to have two really good – I mean, Tennessee was a great environment for the Alabama game. But going to LSU, going to Ole Miss, and what's going to be an enormous game in Oxford, that, those are going to be fun – settings to watch a college football game with Alabama participating.
I thought Georgia, Florida was going to end up like Tennessee, Kentucky after that first half. What Florida punted on their first five possessions, and uh, they had two total first downs in the first half. But and I think what 75, 80 yards total in the first half for the Gators against Georgia's defense. But then Florida opens the third quarter and they score 17, and all of a sudden it's a it's a one possession game, and you're thinking, man, um, Florida's gonna. They're right back in this. Georgia's facing some pressure, and then that was not the case. They turned it back on. Uh, they responded by scoring on 48 and 79-yard drives, and they put Florida away in the cocktail party. Hutton, shout-out to our IPA parlay here at 6 and Peabody. We oh, yeah, we hit on three. that. We were 3 for 3 because we had 22 and a half, and Florida lost by 22. So I was following that closely because we won the Arkansas bet easily. Yeah. Then we won Florida by half a and point. Tennessee. You doubled the spread. Tennessee went ahead and tripled the spread and then some for you right. in that game. Uh, so that was a good weekend for the IPA parlay. Florida looked impressive in that comeback, but that game was over at halftime. There was, there was, there was yeah. no catching Georgia with the start Florida had where it was three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out to start that game. But, you know, uh, Stetson Bennett was shaky uh, throughout. He had, a couple picks. He completed 19 of 38 pass attempts. So there was there were times where you're thinking, man, they may get a defensive score again, or they may do something to where, you know, it just may not be Georgia's. I, point being, they hung on and they responded the way you're supposed to respond after Florida, you know, has a little rally to them, and they treated Florida like Tennessee treated Kentucky. They're the next shelf down from where Georgia and Tennessee are right now. Stetson Bennett, he can be had. Yeah. Th- that's a quarterback that you can get to and you can affect him, and he cannot be very very good. But they, they, now, he can also be great. We've seen greatness from Stetson Bennett as well. They're willing to let him let it rip. It, it's, it's a he pretty – turned 25 this weekend, by the way. But for a guy that is you know steady Eddie, walk-on, turn, great story, yeah. pl- starter, there's a very low floor. For him, I'd like oh, for the floor but, to be higher. Is my point, but that's in terms the, of consistency with him. Now he's got an that's insanely, the storyline with him, though. He's got an insanely high ceiling for a guy who's a former walk-on too, and he's much in the better. Way he can I mean, look. they have averaged uh, no, they have a um, five hundred and sixty total yards is their average over the last two games. So they're, I mean, they're moving the football as much as they're stopping the opponent. I. I can't wait for for Saturday with Tennessee and, and Bama. Georgia's been good on third down when they're actually faced with them. Uh, they converted more than 52% so far. They're 8 of 9 on fourth down in their last five games. So rarely are they punting. And that's exactly how I would describe Tennessee too. So buckle up. We'll see if Georgia... I think Georgia matches up better with Tennessee in the nickel. And that's where Bama lost the game, quite frankly. And I, I'm eager to see what Georgia does in the secondary versus what Bama could not do. And I, Georgia, defensively, I, I'm with you, matches up far better with Tennessee. A year ago in the game, Tennessee had a ton of yards and they had a hard time in the red zone scoring points against yeah. Georgia. Tennessee was not great offensively against Kentucky. You know, that was an issue in the third quarter where they got their first two possessions inside Kentucky territory, came away with three points. Very un Tennessee like. They've got to be when when you get an opportunity, you got to put seven on the board, right? Especially against Georgia, but Georgia's defense is far more talented. Kentucky's been a good defense all year. Georgia's defense far more talented. Yeah. 
We're going to talk about different aspects of this matchup. And Nolan all Smith week. is hurt. That's a, that's big for them. Now I'll also say Georgia looks way more comfortable running the football than even Kentucky, who wants to run the football first and foremost. They're running backs, not just one guy. The way Kentucky yeah, has a, Chris Rodriguez, those guys are tough to get down, and they are game breakers, all of them. You're playing better defense, Tennessee, and that's going to be a factor in this thing. I was blown away with Tennessee defensively. I thought it was just the perfect plan to get after Will Levis, but the secondary is what's the surprise. They stepped up and played, played great on Saturday. They're going to need that again. Here's the, the ultimate X factor for Georgia, not just against Tennessee, but moving forward as we get ready for college football playoff rankings. I've never seen a better two-pack of tight ends than Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. I don't know how you scheme against those guys. There's, there's nothing, there's no good option. There's no good matchup on your defense to try to stick with those guys in coverage, but also what you have to take away from your defense to try to make sure they're negated. It's, it's an impossible cover. Here's Josh Heupel uh, discussing the initial thoughts on the matchup as Tennessee travels to Athens this Saturday to face the Bulldogs. Uh, you can win a game with confidence because you've paid the price, you've worked, you've prepared uh, to go out and play the right way. Both teams, I'm sure, are confident and should be. You know, for us, this week preparation is going to be key. They're, they're really good. they got got to understand their schemes. The personnel, the battles within the, the battle are going to be really important. Setting it up and... and- We've already heard as well from Kirby Smart, who mentioned the system that that Heupel has installed at Tennessee and what makes the offense go. He said he was already stressing to his team that it it is through the run game. Guys, it's it's the run game. And when you look at the numbers, it is. We stressed this over the last couple of weeks with the Vols offense. They run the football and they stick with it. And then that sets up everything. And that's what I think rubbed Tennessee the wrong way with the real football quote from Kentucky. They mashed them at the line of scrimmage, offense and defense. That's where Tennessee's built. That's what everyone wants to overlook. They've got two running backs who would not be in the same running back room as Georgia's running backs, quite frankly, from a talent standpoint. And both those guys get it done because they run hard and Tennessee's offensive line loves to fire off the football and hit you. That's what's underrated about this. You think, oh, flash and dash. They're just out there trying to hold somebody up for a second and a half so their guy can throw it deep. No, 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 no. Tennessee wants to fire off the ball and run it first and foremost, and they've done that all season. Yeah, look at the average carries per game. Look at the the yards and how they accomplish moving the ball down the field. Look at the run game. It's exactly how Hendon Hooker's efficiency numbers and completion percentage have been so great because he's not asked to throw a ton of times over the course of a game, and he can hit the big play when he does. Coming that real up, football quote's going to haunt them for a while. It's not going to go away. Coming up, uh, Roquan Smith has been traded. We'll tell you where he's headed in the AFC from Chicago to a new destination that with the brand fits. And also, World Series, Game 3 continues tonight. We'll get Paul's take on Game 2. He was in the house in Houston. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. 
<laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up in 10 minutes, Derek Henry. He haunts the Texans, and he did it again yesterday. And he's back on the scene as one of the top offensive players in the NFL. We'll discuss. And uh, we'll discuss the records that he either tied or broke yesterday in Houston. Plus, a full Week 8 NFL recap. We'll go through the big headlines. One of the headlines right now, Roquan Smith from the Bears traded to the Baltimore Ravens. And you guys said it. Paul, right after you uh, you read off the phone from the report that he had been traded, Chad, you were like, yeah, this this tracks. <laughs> this, this reeks guy. of Raven football. Yeah, it does. A second and a fifth, I believe, is the compensation, which sounds about right. And it was, you know, th- this has been, you've got, you've got Ryan Pales who, uh, or Pulse, who he's got options to trade, right? Assets. He's trying to get picks at the same time. They're also playing better than what we probably would have thought. And defense on the edge has not been their issue. Roquan Smith's a good player, but they're not giving him the contract extension. You kind of felt like this was coming, and now's the time to do it. And they're, they're building for the future. I don't blame him as a new GM and a new head coach in there. It's just this is one of the difficult things where you're like, man, this sucks because we're, we're mailing it in, and we've got year two for Justin Fields, but in the long run, this will help them with the picks they're going to acquire. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's tough in the locker room because they are playing better, but they know, uh, <laughs> organization knows it's not going anywhere this year, and uh, it's a wiser choice to to fill up on the draft. We're not just going to be uh, younger players, but cheaper players, and then you can uh, also, you know, they need offensive firepower. Yep. This is one, though, if you are, and I'm anti trying to appease the quarterback's ego at times, but it's a difficult explanation to Justin Fields right now in year two because he has picked it up a little bit. The offense does seem more suitable to his skill set now, and and all of a sudden it's, but we're going to continue the fire sell because we don't believe we're going to be good for another two years. Well, So if you're Justin Fields, you're thinking, okay, so in year five, can we compete? But they also traded away future picks at the time to get Justin Fields to move up and draft. So now they're trying to get those back and then build with the new regime. It's a different, you know, I'm about, you know, job longevity and a new regime. Now's the time to do this. Whereas if you've got a guy that's on his final year, right, Matt Nagy, and they're trying to make things work, well, you're trying to buy at this time of year. I think you could explain it to Fields and just say, hey, yeah, those two guys we (laughs) traded. Uh, as as good as they are, they're on the other side of the ball. Yeah. And we need to get some guys right. on your side of the ball to help you, and they'll be arriving in April. And they've got a lot of rookies playing behind Roquan Smith at linebacker. Paul, how was how was Houston? How was Game Two of the World Series on Saturday? It was really cool to to go uh, to walk around for in the ballpark for a good while before the game. When did gates open? A um, couple hours before. Well, we we went in about about five because our area was cordoned off until five. Um, and so I started walking around then first pitch was seven Oh three. Um, it's, it's very cool to see the energy of a home team fan base, you know, at the same time when your team was in the same playoffs and lost to that team, it's gut wrenching to, you know, know that you 
not that that far away from that being your home team's energy. So uh, it's kind of mixed mixed emotions. But to, to take in a, a World Series game has always been a dream of mine. Uh, there I am. No, these were not my seats. But uh, I got to walk around and, and yeah. see a lot of stuff. So I'll, your seats are in the my right seats. So if right, right over my head, that red section right over my head, yeah. next to the batter's eye, that's the Budweiser like like bar like area. A party and deck. Th- yeah, and that's cool. where we were on that party deck. So how loud did it get uh, in there? It w- it was really loud when things were going really well for the Astros. I watched a lot of the media at work there pregame, which is cool. You know, I don't know. I knew who some of the media were. I didn't know who the executives they were talking to and stuff, but business was definitely getting done. So I thought that was cool to see. And right to the left of my seat is the Astros bullpen. And so I got to watch um, Framber Valdez warm up before the start and then Hector uh, Neris, Rafael Montero, and Ryan Presley during the game. And it's something, as we all know, when you see stuff up close that you're used to watching from far away, just the first off how hard they throw and then the precision with which they throw. It's just ridiculous, uh, the pop in the glove. And their interaction with the fans is, is, is really cool. It's a, it's a different sound when you're Man. right next to a major league bullpen and they have that, that tunnel feeling to it yes. and you can hear the flight of the ball. And the pop of the glove when and they're so warming up, it's effort- really cool. It's so effortless. Yeah. Uh, just crazy. So, Schwarber, the coolest thing in the game, Schwarber hits what looks like a home run. Now, they've got a home plate umpire, first place, uh, first base umpire, and an outfield umpire. They all call it gone, and he circles the bases for a two-run home run. And then they review it and say it was foul. And then the next pitch, he hits one that is just barely. I tap McClain. I go, holy bleep, he did it again. <laughs> and the guy catches it, like, right at the wall. We've never seen a guy round the bases like that. Headlines with the NFL next, including Derrick Henry's dominance against Houston.